0: Prognosis Ohio is brought to you by, well, you. Because we don't do advertising on this show, instead we depend on the support and the kindness of listeners. If you like this episode, please help us make more by becoming a Patreon for just three dollars a month. To do that, go to patreon.com/prognosisohio. That's patreon.com/prognosisohio. You'll get a T-shirt, but you'll also help us cover our costs and get all of the good feelings that come with that. And while you're in the mood, spend a little time checking out our website at prognosisohio.com, where there's an archive of previous episodes, show notes, as well information on subscribing, supporting, and more. Oh, and thanks. I've been wanting to bring you the conversation we're having today on climate change for a while now. In a way, even though it's about an existential crisis, I found the conversation not only informative, but enjoyable and even a bit cathartic. I think it's the first interview we've done in over a year where the pandemic wasn't a constant topic, though it does come up. While we can't lose sight of the important work that remains to be done with COVID-19, especially addressing the massive disparities and the continued struggle to get a vaccine out and in people's arms, it also feels good to start to turn back to some of the other important work we have to do. On today's episode, we've got not one, not two, but three great guests, all from Ohio Clinicians for Climate Action, a group of clinicians who advocate for their patients by offering credible health-based perspectives on environmental policy. Dr. Miriam Hussein is a graduate of the Ohio State University College of Medicine and is currently a hematology and oncology fellow at the James Cancer Center. Ariona Bayanjagal is an MD, PhD candidate at Ohio State with a concentration in pediatric oncology. And Anna Safranik is program director for OCCA. I really enjoyed talking with them. Be sure to check out our show notes, which contain information about the work that OCCA does, as well as more information about our guests. Hi, folks, and thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thank you. We're excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've wanted to have this conversation for a while. We, we've talked about climate and climate action, climate change on this show a, a few times. It comes up. In in a lot of different contexts, and obviously this week, and we're we're talking in the end of January. This episode will be out in you know, February at some point. Um, President Biden and his administration has made you know a bunch of really big announcements around climate of uh, a, a, a few very aggressive, um, though not unsurprising, uh, moves. Um, you know, so it's it's a big issue that a lot of people are thinking about. I kind of wanted just to to start off by setting the setting the table a little bit. And I guess I'll, I'll address this to uh, Mariam first. Um, can you just talk a little bit about um, what what inspired the founding of Ohio Clinicians for Climate Action? Just a little bit about about the organization.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... I've re- So I recently joined OCCA, it's probably been now in the last, um, I'm going to say maybe like a year or two or so. And uh, the basic idea of it is that, you know, clinicians are on the front lines uh, when it comes to human health, obviously. And when you are looking at environmental issues that are affecting patients, um, such as air quality or water quality, and you're seeing patients um, on the front lines that are dealing with side effects from pollution or these environmental Health problems that um, there there's really nothing you, you want to be able to do something for these patients, right? Because you're seeing it firsthand, and so also knowing that a lot of patients, uh, at least with some studies done recently, that people still trust their primary care physicians, right, and nursing, and that we are still a respected um, discipline that people want are able to. Um, you know, would be willing to listen to some of the things that we may say and the science behind that as well, too. So being on the front line and having that background and being a trusting background for the community, that it just made sense that, you know, how can we organize physicians together uh, and providers as well, too, and learn how to advocate, learn how to come together and talk to elected officials and really be that voice and advocate for our patients who are suffering from these issues.
0: And I note that the organization has rallied around this idea of clinician instead of physician. And I think that's really important because we have a diversifying healthcare workforce. With you know, and as healthcare changes in the United States and globally, more and more people are you know included in that. So it's a really inclusive way of thinking about this instead of the physician-centric approach. Even though Ariona, you are in a medical program, and Miriam, you're a physician. So I, I I think it's worth just noting. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we could take a second to talk a little bit about, you know, this kind of crossover of clinicians working in these kinds of areas. I was trying to think as I was preparing for this interview about the history of clinicians being involved in issues like this. And I guess the issues that came to my mind historically were the no nukes movement. And I know physicians were really involved in um, anti-nuclear proliferation, um, you know, advocacy in the 60s and the 70s and still today, um, but also more recently uh, gun violence and and that you know being an issue that we saw more and more clinicians involved with. So I guess I'll just ask Ariana, so as a, as a medical student and as a PhD student, is this a piece of the identity that you think you know, clinicians, future physicians are taking on? Is this part of the deal that if you're going to be a physician in 2021, or other clinicians as well, that you need to care about these kinds of issues? Because it's not the traditional model necessarily.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really important question. Um, I think as a younger generation, um, you know, students are still in in, in programs. Uh, that's probably true for some group, but I would still say there are, you know, not really an organizational kind of uh, support or um kind of organizational help for students to really kind of learn about topics like this in med school. But I would say overall, there's definitely a growing correlation of um, medical students, especially thinking about how we can, as future physicians can influence policy and how we can kind of uh, help medical student uh, medical schools and institutes implement some of these um, changes in their curriculum. So I would say, especially in my case, that's a big part of what I Think about and care about all, a lot of the times, and um, I'm, I hope it—you know—it's also true for many of the med students as well.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to definitely try to get some of my students to become interested in this. I noticed you don't have any any DOs at least on the board and in, in the leadership role necessarily. At least not. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, certainly would like to see as many people get involved in this kind of work. I guess I'll just ask Anna and your and your. Uh, role as program director. I mean, wh- what kind of inquiries do you get in terms of the interest in this kind of work? Does it run the gamut? Is it mostly physicians? And what kind of work is the organization doing to broaden that? Yeah,
1: So primarily, we are made up of physicians, though we are looking to recruit more, uh, you know, nurses, RDS, uh, NPs, any anybody in the healthcare field, because it, we are such trusted messengers and getting the message out about the impacts climate can have on health from somebody that actually is in the field is, is what we aim to do. So part of our organization, we have subcommittees and one is focused on advocacy that's starting now. We, we have done a survey of our members to see what they would like to focus on for this year. And our subcommittee will be meeting in February. Um, to go over that and formulate a plan for the remainder of the year. And then our education subcommittee will begin meeting in March. And our hope for that is to get more med schools, nursing schools, you know, interested in implementing climate into their curriculum. So, We have a clinician from the Cleveland Clinic who has been working with the Cleveland Clinic Lerner School of Medicine and implementing climate language into their program, and she's going to be um, kind of spearheading our education committee uh, based on the the research that they've done and the implementation they've done at the Lerner College of Medicine, Um, and we're going to try to get more Ohio schools interested in that um, and, and see where it goes from there.
0: Building off of that, uh, if we can talk about this idea of being a credible messenger, you know, and actually that's the language that's on your website that, you know, clinicians are among the most credible messengers. I was thinking about that because also clinicians um, that I know are concerned about this issue, but they're also really careful uh, in terms of what they talk with their patients about and when, and, you know, wanting to make sure that it doesn't you know, violate or, or compromise the trusting relationship that they're building. At the same time, they have really important health-focused work to do. I guess I'd like to ask Miriam, as, as somebody who's been a practicing physician, I mean, do you have these conversations? Is it your sense that, you know, this is something that patients really care about too? And that do you have any issues in terms of taking positions on issues like this in terms of the way you think about yourself as a provider generally?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. And so I would say that it's probably a mix that I would say that patients are heavily interested in climate change, where it comes up or it doesn't. But um, I think what it ultimately comes down to is that when people come and see you, even if it's for a well visit, they just don't feel good. You know, they just uh, as much as they would like to worry about other societal problems and bigger uh, issues. They're really focused on, you know, hey, I, I either have my cancer or I have my COPD or something and, you know, just help me feel better, right? And so a lot of times I think where the problem comes down to is that the way that our healthcare system is set up is that it's very quantity focused, right? RVU based. And so Uh, or relative value units base that um, you really just try to address what the current active issue is, and then you move on, right? And then you hope that they have a primary care provider that can then deal with every other issue that they have, right, that relates to prevention and wellness. Um, And so that, I think, is where a lot of providers would like to address other issues, but we just get time limited. Um, Now, having said all that, when you have somebody who comes in, let's say with a respiratory issue, right, like COPD or asthma, and they're having recurrent issues, and then you are forced then to look beyond just, um, hey, let's adjust your medications or are you still smoking, but where do they live, you know, and who lives with them. And what access do they have? And so, uh, for example, a patient with diabetes and their sugars are just horribly uncontrolled. Is it because they are, um, in terms of access to healthy foods, are there any community gardens nearby, right? Or are they in a city uh, where there's only a convenience store or a gas station, right? Which a lot of patients uh, of mine um, have mentioned to me as well. So then you have processed foods. And so um, when you talk about that as well, then again, you know, you may, you can be philosophical about um, how important these issues are, but then again, patients are like, what can you do for me right now? And so um, it's one of those things where I think uh, when I bring it up to them that like, you know, there's increasing temperatures, that's causing um, increase in pollution, increase in particulate matter, you know, 2.5 PM, 2.5. And then they agree, you know, nobody uh, will deny that, especially when they're feeling the direct effects of it. Right. And then, and again, it's coming from a trusted person that they're coming to for help. And then you're trying to help explain to them, why do you feel terrible? You know, why are you having these medical problems? Um, I think that that's what helps motivate, um, you know, I think physicians to become more active then, right? is because we're seeing all these social ills come into the clinic or into the hospital. And we want to do more and we want to impart this back on patients as well too. And so uh, we're almost forced then, right, to become a part of these um, part of these discussions. And that part of it as well too, is that how can we help the patient become their own advocate? right? When the system is not necessarily set up for them to have, let's say, a patient navigator or families come in, especially now with COVID, right? That they come in alone, that a lot of emphasis is, you know, well, what can you do for your prevention? What can you do uh, for yourself, right? And then how can we help you do that? And so um, this the thing is, is that when I think most physicians too, when they present uh, information or education to a patient, that's what it is, is education based on science, right? That's all that we try to do. When you have a really good relationship with your patient, you can, you know, have conversations, deeper philosophical conversations, but um, there is no political agenda right behind us telling you why is your COPD worse or why is your diabetes worse? It's just sad. I think that climate change and global warming and what are all the names that it's had has become a politicized issue. But um, I think where it can help with having more of these topics introduced into medical education is to help future trainees learn how to present these issues, how to present these more uh, social issues that are environmental issues that are happening to patients in a way that comes from education, that comes from science, that comes from, hey, this is a part of your holistic care. And we need to talk about this because I can adjust your insulin as much as you want, or you know, give you ten thousand inhalers, but if you're still in a in a, um, uh, in a uh, an environment that doesn't promote that, this is why, right? And then yeah. if you want to get more involved, these are ways you can get involved.
0: Yeah, and, and it's a nice pivot point to Ariana. I mean, to to think a little bit about you know, I was thinking as an MD PhD student uh, focusing on pediatric oncology specifically. I mean, you both. Are interested in Miriam? You work in oncology, uh, working with the pediatric population, in gen- uh, more, more specifically, is you know an interesting narrative because so much of what happens around climate is around future generations. Even though I think you know when I go back to like Al Gore and thinking about how we were talking about climate in, ni- in the nineties and the early two thousands, it was this thing on the horizon but now we're seeing these very real consequences and we're able to articulate them about how they're actually shaping things right here, right now. And that's where it hits clinic, the, the, the clinical space. So Ariana, I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit.
3: Yeah. So I was vigorously nodding to what um, Dr. Hassan said about educating the future physicians and I just kind of wanted to kind of touch on, you know, um, as a current medical student at OSU, and definitely just looking across the nation and looking at curriculum, this is definitely a, an area that needed to be, um, you know, improved in terms of talking about hey, how do we as f- future physicians help our patients to navigate these um, climate changes and you know resulting health health issues? Um, I wanted to highlight like there there are some. Um, movements around the country, but mostly it's coming from, a lot of the time, from students, you know, advocating for themselves and saying, hey, we wanted to have, you know, this topic included in our education. So a few examples, like people, you know, incorporating lunch lunch topics into their curriculum or fourth-year electives and things like that. And, and there's definitely a lack of bigger structural changes, maybe from AAMC um, or... Um, medical medical schools, but I would highly encourage students who are interested in this topic, um, you know, not wait for it to happen. just you know, kind of take the rein, go and talk to who's in charge of the curriculum and how do we kind of uh, incorporate these topics into our blocks or education. Um so I really wanted to touch on that. Um, and going back to your um, point about you know pediatric population, and that's that's definitely. Um, a really big um, area that um, I think our founder, Dr. Drs. Bowles and uh, Ross, uh, kind of focus on is they're both are pediatricians, and you know when when you when you're a pediatrician, you're thinking about um, these young patients and thinking about their prosperity down the road, right? So um, right now there are a lot of lot of conditions that could be correlated to you know air pollutions and that you're seeing in pediatric uh, population, in addition to a lot of Mental health issues like anxiety and depression related to this um, existential crisis that the younger generation is facing. So I think, in that sense, pediatricians are definitely in, in a place that you know, um, that ne- needs to be a stronger advocates for our future patients.
0: I wanted to kind of give some very specific examples, and. Ariana you kind of touched on these already a little bit, which is wonderful, but I wonder if we could do it a little bit more. So, you know, from the perspective of the work that you do, Miriam at the James or um, Ariana uh, with Nationwide Children's and other institutions that I'm sure you work in that I don't even know about, uh, I-, I wonder if you can help our audience understand in Central Ohio, in Ohio, and maybe Ohio is not that different. Maybe it's just the country, the world, you know, but every place does have its unique challenges. What, what are some ways in which our listeners can understand how climate change gets translated to clinical questions? Uh, how does it show up in in the exam room? How does it show up in the clinic?
2: I guess um, some of the biggest things, so, so I'm based out of Columbus. And so the biggest things that we see here, uh, because Columbus in and of itself is a heat, urban heat island, you know, as it's referred to, or a heat island that a lot of um, high temperatures get kind of locked in around the city, uh, not necessarily outside of the inter- or outside of the 270 outer belt. But um, so a lot of times we'll see people come in with uh, like cardiovascular type stress, let's say so, whether that's dehydration um, or and dehydration that ends up causing enough um, of an issue where people will feel like they're having a heart attack, you know, or they're just having chest pressure, chest tightness. Uh, we're saying a lot uh, as well, it, Ariana could speak to this a lot better than me, but with asthma and COPD rates that people who are having exacerbations or flare-ups of their uh, chronic diseases, that's, you know, how they're coming in that way. The nice thing with Ohio is that, you know, we have, um, especially throughout the highways, right, you see those air quality index um, uh, being told on the on those monitors about is, you know, is this a good day or is this a bad day, right? And so, uh, especially when the temperature is high, you'll see that, you know, the risk for um, pollution-related health events is a lot higher, too. So, that specifically, you know, here, at least in central Ohio, is where, you know, um, where we see some things present for to us. Um, Ohio has thankfully been spared from some of the more news sh- catching stories like wildfires in California, let's say, for example, or hurricanes down to the south and to the uh, east. But um, that's how, you know, at least you'll see it on different parts of um, the country where you see people presenting you know, either losing their homes right from wildfires or, you know, from hurricanes, things like that. Um, in terms of, and then the big thing that Ohio de- deals with kind of more in the north. Um, is with Lake Erie, right, and the algal blooms. And so water security um, has been another issue as well, too. So people who either feel like they may have um, drank, you know, wherever they get their water sources from, and if they could be contaminated, just having more like GI upset type symptoms, nausea, vomiting, Um, and again, dehydration is another issue as well, too, that they'll have, um, and just this sense of um, low security, right, about how healthy is my water. Um, as well in terms of that too. So those are just
3: a few examples that I've per- particularly seen.
0: Yeah, that's great. I wonder if Ariana wants to add anything to that.
3: Yeah. So I do, I've very limited a uh, patient um, interaction nowadays. Mostly I'm a lab rat. Um, but I you know just a to, to, you know kind of a focus on another aspect that I think about a lot is that thinking about how um, vulnerable groups and how you know environmental justice comes in really. Um, play a big role, thinking about where, for example, Nationwide is located, right? Um, recently, I um, went to like a webinar, um, Carrie Art, someone from OSU, and she was talking about the canopy covers and how that's very important. And depending on, you know, neighborhoods, um, the industry, and then the level of pollution also depends where, where the poorer neighborhoods are located. And so those are a couple of things come to mind, but I, I unfortunately, I don't have specific and exam- personal examples to give. But um, like going back to what Dr. Hussain was saying, you know, asthma is definitely uh, like a big issue in children. And especially if you live around these poor neighborhoods with polluted air close to highway, you know, the rates of asthma and um, airway diseases also go up.
0: Can you say what a canopy cover is?
3: Oh, canopy cover is, you know, how much tree you have in your neighborhood. Um, I remember Clintonville, I think, was one of the neighborhoods that had the most uh, canopy cover, but probably like 14%. Um, and I think the average in the city of Columbus, the canopy cover is probably like 20-something percent, if I remember that slide correctly. And, you know, just thinking about, um, you know, how just green space just makes us feel better and how, how can we incorporate that into our neighborhoods, and and obviously it comes in, in especially if you live in a poorer neighborhood, and that that's just the you know such a difficult task to um, take on. So,
0: great. No, that's really important. I, I just I find that this translational work is actually one of the most important pieces. The science is solid, right, as we know, but translating the science and having these conversations is is really a whole different matter. I mean, we go through this. With science generally. We're going through it with the vaccination discussions right now as well. It's one of the things we try to, it's one of the reasons why we have this show, I think. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to do it, was to give smart people like you a chance to talk to others about the kind of work that we do in this area. Uh, I wonder if we could, um, you know, in wrapping up or looking toward the end here, um, talk about the organization a little bit specifically. And maybe we'll start with Anna. I'm wondering, what is the stated aim of the organization? Is it mainly educational? Is it action-oriented? Uh, is the goal uh, eventually to pass legislation of various sorts or to just raise people's consciousness?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So we, we, we're both active and passive, I guess you could say. So our primary focus is on promoting positive climate solutions in Ohio, whether that be through legislative or non-legislative advocacy and education, so we try to educate not only our peers, but um, you know, before the pandemic happened, we were having networking events where we had both clinicians and people from the community coming. Miriam um, actually presented at one we had down in Columbus. Uh, Arun did too. Uh, so, uh, so we we try to to reach people by any means we can. Um, we get involved in advocacy at the uh, state level. We had a big push to um, have House Bill 6 not get passed. And uh, subsequently, after it was passed, we tried to get it repealed during lame duck, but that didn't go anywhere.
0: So when you have these conversations with folks, um, you know, and this is the political scientist in me thinking, you know, we have the public health, we, you know, uh, knowledge base, we understand the political moment, but also you have questions around, like you mentioned coal, for example, right? Uh, And this is a tricky issue because it's wrapped up in people's anxieties about employment and the economy. And, you know, it's been, it's been talked about in that way. Uh, How do you, how do you work not just within the climate science discussion, but more holistically, I guess what do clinicians bring to that? Do they bring to that just a, look, we need to do something about this, and that's our starting point, and we'll figure the other things out because obviously, you know we know, for example, uh, that unemployment is a huge health risk, right? That we that people you know, uh, people's wellness and their their mental health and their depression, their isolation during times of high unemployment. You know, it's it's very easy to stoke that and to say, well, no, no, we can't do anything about climate because it's a this is a zero sum game. If we do something about the climate, then you're going to lose your job. So I, I wonder how we have that more contextual conversation, and it's really for anybody who wants to jump in.
1: Yeah, so I'll I'll jump in now, and then if you guys want to add in, so we try to work. <sighs> in partnership with other organizations within Ohio. So we do realize that, you know, if we shut down the coal plants, that will mean a loss of jobs. So how can we then promote green energy in those areas? That way we, we don't have a lapse a lapse of jobs and we're also doing what's right for the environment, for the people and for, you know, equity in general. So we, we don't just throw out you know cl- close all the coal plants we try to work with partners uh, like power clean future Ohio who is helping other uh, who's helping local municipalities um, go to clean energy but they're doing it in in a conscious way so it's not just you know shutting down something and then hoping for the best um, so so we are factoring in the whole if you will as we we move forward with our agenda.
0: And I'm guessing, you know, and turning to uh, maybe Miriam for a, a moment, uh, you know, working with patients, I mean, you have to take a similar approach to patients sometimes, right? You can't just come in, you know, hard with the, 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 the prognosis or, you know, the, you, you need to find a way to communicate that's also about helping find solutions, not just being tough, right? And I wonder if there's an, an analogy there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. So um, the way that I kind of see it too, and that I try to tell some patients as well is that, um, you know, we would... um, When you're going through a health issue, right, you can have the chronic phase of it and then you can have the acute phase of it where you do have to do something right here, right now. And what we like to tell patients is that when we're talking or having conversations about goals of care or advanced directives or whatever the case may be, we'd much rather talk to you while you're stable, right, while you can talk to me and while you're healthy, you know, quote unquote, but while you're healthy, right? Because when everything goes into extremis or into extreme crisis or an acute episode, you can't have any, um, it's very difficult to have rational conversations, right? About, or philosophical conversations. And a lot of it is about what do we need to do right here, right now? And people can get very emotional in those situations as well too, not make the best decisions. Um, and everything is crisis mode. And so that's why, um, you know, whenever we're kind of talking about this stuff, we're talking about climate change, that it's kind of like, well, focusing on climate issues and how it's affecting your health is kind of like preventative care for a chronic issue, right? You know, what can we do to optimize your medications or what can we do to get you out and moving more, again, exercise, diet, all of that? Uh, Because then, um, you know, when that asthma patient comes in not being able to breathe, and not, you know, their oxygen level is low and you need to maybe intubate them, right? That's the acute uh, scenario. And when I tell patients that the acute scenario when it comes to climate is the hurricane, right? It's the wildfire. It's when the temperatures are so hot you can't go outside because the air quality is so terrible that your life just kind of screeches to a halt like it has with COVID, right? Which is a consequence of climate change. So, um, I try to use that chronic acute analogy, try to help people kind of understand that we want to prevent the acute crises by focusing on the chronic.
0: So Ariana, we have a lot of listeners who are uh, health professionals, but also we have a lot of health profession students who listen to this podcast. And I wanted to ask you, so, um, what is your best pitch to them to care about this issue, to invest the time in learning about it, but also to get involved? And what, what are some of the ways in which you would like to see them get involved?
3: Yeah, definitely. So if you're a student or, you know, health professional and interested in this topic, I'd obviously, you know, reach out to our organization, OCCA. In addition to that, as a student, there are a lot of things you can do. You know, you could, um, because this is going to be an issue with us for a really long time, especially as future physicians, right? Um, So thinking about how we are well prepared to advocate for our patients and also educate our patients down the road, I think we need, first thing we really need to kind of start thinking about is how do we well prepare ourselves for this? That includes looking at our curriculum and say, You know, definitely when we talk about Cardiopalm, in our case at OSU, we can, we, you know, we have to talk about all of these um, air pollutions and how how it's, you know, uh, manifesting in children. So I would highly encourage students to look into their curriculum and think about ways that, you know, Um, it could be adjusted and changed. And I know medical students are really busy and already have crazy schedule, but I think this is really worthwhile topic to consider. Um, Besides that, I also would like to plug in for a couple of student organizations. So in 2018 at OSU College of Medicine, we started a student organization, uh, Sustainability in Medicine, and we did a lot of Variety of different activities ranging from you know having a reusable dish um, dishware for student organization meetings to um, writing a petition urging our institute to you know step up their sustainability goals to. For, for new buildings coming up. And we were able to collect like 500 signatures on that petition. And essentially that got us into a room with, you know, the important people who actually plan and think about these building constructions. So that was, you know, that's kind of an example. And especially true for OSU is, you know, OSU has a lot of donors. And we kind of thought about, um, you know, we can encourage donors to really attach their donation to sustainable goals and thinking about, hey, I want, well, I want my donation go into building that has such and such features and sustainable features, right or or go look at going back and looking at the past donations and say, um, you know, we want to make sure that a lot of these donations are to buildings. So I think about how we can retrofit some of these hospitals. So those are just a couple of examples ways that students can get involved. And that's just at OSU. And if, if if there are any other students out there in different institutes and would like to kind of hear about our experience, feel free to connect. And also there's a national organization just la- launched last year called Medical Students for a Sustainable Future. And this is a, you know, coalition of medical students across the nation and focusing on a lot of different things, thinking about advocacy in the very same way that our organization is due um, and um, also thinking about curriculum changes and how we can, you know, um, really kind of help medical, medical schools adapt um, sustainable and, you know, environmental issues into their curriculum. So there's a lot of different ways um, students can get involved. Um, and I would highly, highly encourage everyone wondering about it and, you know, thinking about where to start, check out these organizations and see where you fit in.
0: Yeah, that's really great, and you know, we will be linking to all of the different programming and events, um, and all the social media accounts for OCCA in the show notes, and we'll be sharing that out with everybody along with this episode. So I'm hoping that people do that. I wonder if we can just um, have a closing comment from Miriam if you have anything to add to that. You know, the question I had for Ariana, which was, uh, what is your best pitch for? the clinicians of the future to invest in this and to focus on this issue and make make it something that they really get involved with?
2: Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I think Ariana did a great job uh, laying that out, especially for future um, clinicians. And so I would just say that, um, you know, it's one of those things where as clinicians, right, we're taught to identify a problem and then try to fix it. Right? and it's so much easier in school to say here's your problem here's a medication see it in two months you know uh, but unfortunately you know the real world doesn't work like that and so um, there's n- I would just say that there's nothing wrong in identifying the problem that we are dealing with um, a imbalance in our environment that is being propelled by um, excess human activity, right? And so just calling it what it is that we can then be able to actually focus on what do we do about it instead of just trying to convince people that something's happening, right? And so, because then that's, you might want to get a psychiatrist on the call at some point to talk about cool. human behavior and all that, but yeah. um, but at least being able to focus on solutions, and right? So I think the great thing about medical education um, And, you know, specifically at OSU because I went there from medical school, and I think what a lot of other med schools are trying to do is really um, help form a more holistic version of a physician, right, where it's not just about um, a pencil pusher that can just see patients um, throughout the whole day, but someone who can really truly understand all the social interplay that relates to health, whether that's racial justice, gun violence or climate change, right? And so um, whether or not the real world actually operates that way, I won't comment on that for the sake of your show, but (laughs) it doesn't, uh, but that is what medical education is trying to do, I think, which is great. And so with being able to have people who are intelligent enough to recognize their surroundings to say that we do have a problem and we need to focus on the patient and not just the patient but our communities right and our ability to take care of people, I think whatever organization you feel comfortable with in joining um, as a student, whether that's one of the nonprofits uh, within Ohio that are part of national groups or that's OCCA, whomever it is, I'd say just connect with whomever and get yourself educated and then f- and then also to learn how you can actually impact um, on a uh what is it like a advocacy level where you can help advocate for laws or whatever the case may be, because this is like Ariana said, this is going to be our issue, right? This is your issue, whether you want it or not. And uh, we need people who are intelligent enough and who can advocate, intelligent enough to advocate for their patients to step up and do things. I think that's the greatest thing that you could do for your patients. You
0: know, it's funny, as you were talking, I was thinking about curriculum discussions we've had at Ohio University and you know, every medical school goes through this. And you know, you're trying to figure out well, do we have space for this? Where should this go? Oh, we don't have any time because, you know, with the boards or whatever it might be, the incentive structure has kind of come, everybody, you know, comes running in and saying there's not enough time. um And, and you know, some things get thrown overboard. <laughs> but what what's clear to me about the work that you do with your organization and clear to me just as a human being who follows climate uh, discussions is there, there, there better be time for this because then you're missing the defining issue of this generation, <laughs> you know, and so you don't want to be that person who, you know, 20 years later you say, well, I'm a great physician, but the world is, you know, a wreck and we missed it, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. And that you could have done something about it.
0: Well, we will share, um, with our listeners as much information as we possibly can. And Anna, I just want to ask, uh, so folks who want to get involved, um, or want to be in touch, how do they do that?
1: You can email, Me, the program director of Ohio Clinicians for Climate Action, OCCA at the OEC.org. Or you could visit our website. It's www.ohcliniciansforclimateaction.org.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much, all of you, for being here. Thanks for the work you do. And I hope this is the first of many conversations we'll have.
2: Thank you so much, Dan. Appreciate your time. Yes, thank you. Thank you.
0: Prognosis Ohio is hosted by me, Dan Skinner, and produced by me and Mark France. Claire McGee provided editorial and production support for this episode. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show and follow us on Twitter at, at Ohio. As always, we welcome ideas for important issues you'd like to hear us talk about on the show. We've received some really good suggestions from listeners that have already materialized into new episodes, including the one you just listened to. Stay tuned for our next episode dropping in a week or so with Senator Tina Maharoff about her experience with COVID-19 and the state of things in the Ohio State House. You're not going to want to miss this one. Okay, that's it for now. Be safe and be well.